Everyone on this planet that celebrates Christmas in one way or another is celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, whether they recognize that or not. And so God has established that we will not forget this powerful moment in human history, and we don't want to forget it as his body, as his church. We want to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ. Has this been a tough year? Has there been a lot of challenges? Absolutely. It doesn't mean that God is not good and that he has not blessed us because he has blessed us with abundance, and there is much to be grateful for, much to be thankful for. And so we are continuing our series on Happy Birthday, Jesus. It is his birthday that we're celebrating. We began with the gift of a, of a father's love and the importance of a, a father taking care of his responsibilities and that God created and chose Joseph on purpose and he's looking for a lot more Josephs in this world and we want to pray for men and young men and old men to be just like Joseph in his approach to being a father. And then last week we looked at the joy of a godly mother and the fact that joy is found in Christ alone and that our joy is, is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our difficulties. It's based on the hope we have in Christ. And so our joy is stable and strong and not swayed by the wind of time. And so today, where is your joy? Do you have that joy that Mary had when she found out she was to birth Christ? And today we're going to look at the guest's gifts. The guest's gifts. Now, I don't know about you, uh, you may be looking forward to Christmas, you have a special gift coming your way. Um, I like to ask people what is their favorite gift they've received over the years, and I think back to my childhood, I have three brothers, and uh, we're pretty spread apart, and we have some family members that would send us these boxes of gifts for us four boys, and I can remember when I was 16 years old, we had some relatives that felt like we should all get the same gift. So we weren't jealous of each other. And so uh, when I was 16, my brothers were in their 20s. My younger brother had just turned 10. We all got Tonka trucks. <laughs> when you're 16, that's absolutely what you want is a Tonka truck. I had some other relatives that would send us a box and they obviously went to the Goodwill and got it. They would be shirts of schools that we didn't know about. And there was, I believe there was a purse in it once and we didn't know who that was for. Uh, but when you get gifts on Christmas, it reveals, when you get gifts ever, it reveals two things. One, that people care about you, right? Somebody took the time to purchase, to go out and, and make time in their day to, to get something for you. So they care about you. And the, thing, the second thing I think that gifts reveal is how well you know that person, right? They got me this. <laughs> they don't know me at all. Or, wow, they got me this. They really know me. And so I think this is a unique time throughout the year that we get to give gifts and it shows that we care for each other and it shows that we truly want to invest and know each other, not just know each other uh, from a distance, but to truly care about each other and know each other well. And the other thing I was thinking about as I was preparing for this message, um, a couple years back, uh, typically what I will do on Christmas, my wife and I on Christmas Eve, we will wait till Christmas Day for a few of the presents, the special presents, so we won't wrap them until Christmas Eve. Well, you got to hide them until Christmas, and you're always thinking, where's a good place to hide a, a gift that your kids won't find it? And I had just watched the Sherlock Holmes movie, and in the movie he said the best place to hide something is in plain sight. And so I said, all right, I'm going to take all the gifts, and I put them in a blanket, and I put it on my son's bed. He had a bunk bed. I put it on the top bunk bed, and I said, this is going to be great. I'm going to hide their gifts where they see it all the time but won't know it's there. The next day, my daughter comes up to me and says, Dad, who are the gifts on the top of the bunk bed for? 
I'm telling you, the police, the army, they should take kids, and if they're looking for something the bad guys have, just say it's their Christmas presents, and I guarantee those kids will find whatever it is those guys are hiding. And so today, we're going to talk about the gifts of the guests, and we want to look to the Lord and really ask ourselves the question, what gift do we have for Jesus on his birthday? It's Jesus' birthday. What gift will we be bringing him for his birthday? So let's precede his word in prayer and ask him to speak to us. Father God, we are thankful for today. We are thankful for your love and your grace. You are holy. You are just. You are righteous. You are loving. You have established the truth of salvation. You will be glorified forever and ever. We will sing your praises eternally. And so today, Lord, allow us to live into that, preparing our hearts, preparing our lives for eternity. Lord, I pray as we discuss your birth and discuss the guests that you invited to your birthday um, and to those first days of your life, first year of your life, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. We thank you for Matthew and Luke as they recorded all of these things for us to know about um, so that we would not be ignorant. Lord, I pray that you would give us today exactly what we need, whether it's information, whether it is encouragement, or whether it is challenge. Help us, Lord, to be open and in tune to your spirit. Help us not to reject you, but embrace you this morning. And Lord, as we think about the gift that you're calling us to give you, I pray, Lord, that you would make it clear that you would give us discernment and understanding. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless this time. Let it be a time focused on your words and allow your words to speak to us directly. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at two places in the New Testament this morning. We're going to be looking at the book of Luke, a great book. Luke gave us a lot of information that the rest of the Gospels didn't, and so it gives us some understanding of Jesus' first days. Uh, The first guests we're going to look at are the shepherds. And just to give you a quick uh, backdrop or give you some context about the shepherds, um, these shepherds lived with their sheep. Um, I don't know if you would enjoy that, but you get to live with your work. You get to be there all the time. Their responsibility was to make sure that those sheep did not get attacked by wolves or lions or any other kind of dangerous animal. And so they were not considered high on the the status symbol list. They were not on the top of the list of who's who in their time. They were more of a a job that was hard and a job that you had to be committed to. It's interesting also that I learned that um, a lot of uh, scholars believe that the sheep that these shepherds would have been tending, because it was so close to Jerusalem being in Bethlehem, these were more than likely the sheep that would have been used for the sacrifice at the temple. And so they had an immense responsibility as shepherds to take care of the sheep that represented the sin of the people. And so here they find themselves at night. They're a low status symbol. They didn't probably make hardly anything as far as income. And they were committed to watching the sheep, understanding the value of these sheep. And that's where we begin, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And if you want to follow along in your Bible, or it will be on the screens available as well. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You know, every time an angel shows up, people are afraid. Um, I, I always, you know, I grew up, my grandmother had the little porcelain angels. Those are beautiful and nice, um, but they're not intimidating. The angel is a powerful, powerful being. And if we were to encounter an angel, we would be terrified just as these shepherds were. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news 
that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, it was called the city of David because that was where David was born. We're told that this is the prophetic place. This is the foretold place of where the Messiah would be born. And an interesting note, later on in Jesus' life, the Pharisees did not know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They thought he was born in Nazareth. And so they missed a very important point of Jesus' story and his life. And so here the angels are giving them information. They are sharing with them a truth. They are uh, giving them some very powerful news that is to bring joy to everyone, not just the people there in Jerusalem, not just the followers of Abraham, the children of Abraham, but to the whole world. This was a Messiah to save all from their sin. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace to those whom his favor rests. And I can just imagine the angels are so excited. This is the moment they've been waiting for. And now the choir gets to go down and perform. The choir gets to sing that song of praise. And I'm certain we're told in Revelation that there's a choir that stands before the throne of God. And they sing his worship over and over throughout all eternity singing how great God is. And now the angels get to come into our realm, the realm of mankind, and sing in front of these shepherds the good news of the great uh, joy that was brought through Christ our Savior. Continuing in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And so they took action. They heard the news and then they followed the leading that they were given. And when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I think it's amazing that we look at the shepherds. There's this group of people, the least likely group of people to be picked by God to share this amazing news, this powerful news, and yet he chooses these people. Why? Because they loved him. They were seeking after him. And they desired when they received the news, they followed the news, they saw the baby, they saw Mary, they saw Joseph, they saw the Messiah, baby Jesus born. And what did they do? They went out and shared it with everyone. And they said, this is great news. This is powerful news. This is amazing news. You know, we come to church every Sunday and we hear the same news that these shepherds heard. That unto us a child is given. Unto us a child is born. And he will bring joy to all the nations. We hear it every week. Do we go out into our neighborhoods, into our lives, and declare this amazing news that has been revealed to us that there is a child born who has saved us from our sins? I believe the shepherd's gift that they gave to Christ on his birthday was the proclamation, was the fact that they went out and declared the birth of the Messiah. And they 
pondered it and they, and they shared it and, and they celebrated it and they worshipped it. And, and you think about the rest of their lives. This becomes their story. You ever met someone and they have a story? You know this is the story they tell everyone. And if you're a good friend of them, you can repeat the story exactly as they shared it with you. I guarantee for the shepherds, this was their story. And within two minutes of meeting you, they're going to say, you know what? I was, I'm a shepherd and one night angels showed up and they told us that the Messiah was going to be born. And we went to the place they told us and there he was, just as we were told. He's here. Remember, as children, we've been told that there's a Messiah that's going to make everything right. We were told and taught that, that God would promise that there was someone coming to save us from our sins. Well, he's here. He's shown up. He's alive. There's a zeal. There's a passion. There's a fervency. The shepherds were chosen on purpose. It it wasn't a mistake. The guests of the birth of Christ, the guests that were there, were there on purpose. Jesus, God chose them specifically because he knew that then they would go and share this good news with all that they knew. The next guests we see, we don't know when they showed up. We call them the Magi. There's a lot of speculation about the Magi. Um, Let me share with you, there probably weren't three wise men. (laughs) As we sing about, it's a great song. I wouldn't want to change it. It would be hard to sing a song where you said, we don't know how many people came. Right? That wouldn't be a very good Christmas song. Three wise men is a great song, but in reality, um, we're told that they came from a place and many believe, many scholars believe, was, would, would have been connected to ancient Babylon, that they would have been connected when the exile happened, when God uh, allowed Babylon to take over Israel and take the people away, that many of uh, the traditions and truths and prophecies would have gone with them. And so there would have been a heritage, there would have been a knowledge of the true God in Babylon, and that over time there may have been schools, there may have been um, uh, things that were going on that allowed people to maintain this knowledge, and that these magi, more than likely, were the ones that picked the king. They established the king and they understood as they looked at the sign of the stars what that meant. And so the minimum length to travel by camel from Babylon to Israel to Jerusalem is about 40 days. And so to give you the context, these were wealthy, powerful people and they were going to take a trip that was a minimum of 40 days to find the baby king the child king. I can imagine that conversation that they had with their wives. Can you imagine that conversation? We're going to go to Israel. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Where's that? Oh, that's about 40 days away. You're going to be gone for 80 days. And we're going to take some gold and we're going to take some frankincense and we're going to take some myrrh and we're going to give it to a one or two year old. That's an interesting conversation to have, don't you think? And yet that is what happened historically, that they left wherever they lived, they traveled a great distance, and they were looking to meet the baby, the child, the king. And so here we pick up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. As Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Let me give you some background here. Herod thinks he's the king of the Jews. They come in and say, where is born the king of the Jews? If you're the king and someone shows up and says, where's the king? How well are you going to take that? That is probably the most offensive thing you could say to the king of that time. 
And yet they were not afraid. They were not ashamed. They were obviously uh, had authority and power because anyone else that would say that to the king would be put to death. And so they were in a place of prestige, a place of authority, and they continued on. He saw, we saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. I'm sure he was. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where was the Messiah to be born? This demonstrates that King Herod knew nothing about his own people. He knew nothing about the history. He knew nothing about prophecy. He did not care. He didn't care about this baby that was being born. What did he care about? Losing his power. Losing his authority. Continues on, his, his chief priests say to him, In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I may too go and worship him. Interesting information we're given here. Number one, the priests knew about this. Why didn't they just go? If they knew about this prophecy and they knew about these things, why are they not going with the Magi? It's Bethlehem. It's not very far away. Why don't you go check it out? Could it be that they were too busy to check out anything about Jesus? Could it be that their life was so full and what they had going on in their life was so busy and so much that they didn't have the time to put into their schedule to go and see about this child. How many people will live on this earth and hear about the good news of Christ, but never go and find out what it means? How many people will hear on the radio, see on the television, see something on the internet, be shared with something through social media about Jesus, and yet not take the time to go and find out what it truly means? It is, to me, this part of the story is very interesting, that yet they know about it, they know the place that it's going to happen, and yet they do not take the time to go and see. And how many will not go and see and find out? After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and did what? They worshipped him. Powerful, powerful, powerful men. They were not afraid to go to the king of Israel and say, who is the real king? They weren't afraid. And yet coming to this child, their first response was be overjoyed. Their second response was to kneel and to worship a child. They must have had a strong understanding. They must have had a strong knowledge of who it was that they were meeting. They bowed and worshipped him, and then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Could it be that God allowed this tradition of giving gifts to pass down through all time to remind us of the gift we have and the gift we can give? You see, in this story, we have a lot of different people. We have the shepherds who are humbly following the the angels calling. You have the magi that are strong leaders that are following the truth that they have discovered. You have Herod, a strong leader who wants to get rid of Jesus and wants to be the number one, wants to control, wants to have no one as a competitor. The people, the priests who knew the truth but did not take the time to investigate. We can look and see ourselves. We can look and see the world today. A baby is born. What does it mean? Why is it so important? What is it all about? Well, the Magi give us some hints and they give us some insight because typically uh, if you're going to a child's birthday, you're not going to bring gold, right? How many of you have gotten gold on your baby's birthday? (laughs) It's a unique gift because all three of these gifts were not given as practical gifts. They were given as prophetic gifts. They were gifts that represented what we can give and what will be given to us. You see, the gold represents kingship and lordship. Gold is, is, is valuable. Gold is an authority. Even today, if you want to invest in gold, it's powerful. It's authoritative. The gold represents the lordship. Is God, is Jesus, Lord of your life? Have you submitted to his lordship? Have you submitted his uh, authority, overtaking your authority? His will be done, not your will be done. The first place that the, the Magi are demonstrating to us is the gold that is given to us as a king, and a king that we can all be under, a king that we can belong to but also a king that we submit to. Will you submit to this king? Will you submit to his authority in your life? Next, we take frankincense. Frankincense was the perfume that was used. And if you go to the next slide, Elijah. If you look on the slide, you're going to see this is a good illustration of what that would have looked like. It's, it's burned, and, and with it comes this smell. And as you came in, I, I hope you smelled something different in here this morning. Um, that is frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense was used by the priests during prayer. As you look through the Old Testament, many places in the Old Testament, God will say, your prayer is a pleasing aroma to me. Your worship is a pleasing aroma to me. And the priests were the one who performed this. And so this, this smell, the fragrance of frankincense was to represent the priesthood of Christ. He was going to be our priest. What does that mean? The priest was the mediator. The priest was the go-between. The priest connected us to God. And so Jesus is the high priest. He's, there's only one high priest. He's the high priest. And every day he connects us to God. Every day he is the one that allows us to go to the throne room of God. He is the one who gives us the authority to live in the spirit of God. And so the gift is given to us. Do we live each day entering into that place of prayer and studying God's word? Do we allow the frankincense of life to per- perfume us? This connection to God every day. We have the lordship. 
We have the priesthood, a place of connection, a place of every single day of our lives. We are in communion with God. We are in relationship with God. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we are in relationship through the essence of our lives. Is that true of you today? Is that true of me today? The final gift they gave is myrrh. Myrrh myrrh represents the prophet. It represents the Savior. Both frankincense and myrrh were very valuable in the time of Christ, in the time of his birth. These were valuable things that were not cheap to receive or, or, or to get. And yet here the, the Magi bring this myrrh, which would have been used in many cases in, in burial of, of someone dying. They used it as a perfume to keep um, the smell of death, to take away the smell of death and put something that was pleasant in the place of death. To overcome what death had done with a beautiful fragrance. You see, the final gift represented the future, represented the, the what has not yet happened, the eternity, the prophecy, the Savior, that He came to die, and that His death was the greatest victory in mankind's history. His resurrection declared His authority. Frankincense and myrrh representing this relationship we have in the present and in the future. That my present is committed to the Lord and my future is set in the Lord. I have nothing to worry about. As the Magi came, these wise, intelligent, powerful leaders come to Christ as a small child and they bow and worship him. They recognize that he is Lord. He is priest and he is prophet. He is the foundation of all things. He is how I live my life, and he is my future. This is the gift he gave to us by coming to earth. This is the gift that the guests brought to help us understand the gift that we can return to him. This morning, have you declared with your mouth, have you believed in your heart that Jesus is your Lord? He is your king. Have you received him as your priest, as the one that connects you to God, as the one that allows you to live in victory? And do you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is your future? That the moment that you are dead, you are alive. The moment you pass from here, you enter forever his kingdom of glory. The gift is not what you earn. The gift is not even what you do. The gift is submitting your heart and life to him. The greatest gift you can give to Christ on this Christmas is to establish a personal, everyday relationship with him. Have you done that? Are you doing that on a day-to-day basis? Are you waking to him and sleeping in him and knowing him better and better each and every day? Because it's easy to become the priests who know this, we know this, but I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I know this, I know this, like Herod, and I don't want it because I want to be in control. I want to be Lord, I want to be priest, I want to be Savior of myself. It's a clear picture. It's clear. Now that it's clear, what will we do with it? How will we embrace it? What will we do? I come back to the original question. 
What gift do you have for Jesus on his birthday? There's only one thing that Jesus wants. He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember we said a gift is given because you care and because you want to know. Do we care enough to get to know Christ more and more every day? Not a one-time gift, not a gift that can be used and thrown away, but a lifelong gift, a gift that gets better every day. Do you know you can give Christ a gift that gets better every day? Because that he is the one that grows you. He is the one who produces the fruit in you. Have you made that decision? Have you come to that place in your life where you've laid down your lordship and handed it to him? Where you've recognized your need for him to be your priest and for him to be your savior? Will you offer yourself this morning? Will you offer yourself this morning? You know, every day, no matter if you grew up in the church and you've come to church your whole life, every day is a new day to offer the Lord your life. Today is a new opportunity to continue to faithfully offer your life to him. Would you do that this morning? Would you continue to commit yourself to him? How do we do this? How do we apply this to our life? I think it is so important that we commit to not resisting the spirit of God in our lives. There are things that are said in your heart right now that I'm not saying. There are things that will be said to you that only you and God know about. There are truths that God reveals in your heart that he's convicting you of, that he's challenging you with, that he wants to grow you in. And I know, I know. I've sat in many services and felt the spirit of God speaking to my heart and I've resisted. Because it seemed scary, it seemed uncomfortable. What would it turn out to be? How would that look? What would that mean? How can I do that? All the what-ifs, all the problems, all the reasons why not. My encouragement to you, my encouragement to you is not to resist the Spirit of God in your heart and your life.